All right, the question is, how smart are you and does it even matter? Does IQ matter? We live in a world dominated by tests, absolute measures or attempts at ab absolutely uh, taking a measurement of who you are, how smart you are, does it matter? Do you need IQ to be rich, right? These are the type of questions uh, that I'm sure at some point have rolled through your brain. You grew up, you were put in classrooms, you were put with other kids, it was competitive, you got a report card, you needed grades to get into university. So there is a lot of belief around IQ. So today's book of the day is Successful Intelligence by a very famous guy, Robert Sternberger. And, uh, Sternberg, sorry. And uh, really, he goes into this from a perspective that uh, I hadn't heard before and you may not have heard before. He basically says, if you look at the world that we're in now, for various reasons, you could call it a conspiracy theory, you could say it's just plain logical to do it this way, but we live in a world dominated by tests. So the way you see yourself right now, whether it comes to business or social life, who you think you deserve to marry, the amount of money you think you deserve to make, I guarantee you at some point you've tried to gauge yourself socially in the hierarchy. You know, they say chickens, when I lived on a farm, a chicken can tell uh, the difference between about 150 other chickens. When, you know, when we used to raise chickens, you go in there, they basically all look the same. But chickens have developed, and you've heard the word pecking order, they can tell uh, who's the top chicken all the way down and lots of animals can do that herd animals can do this sheep cows all these get it uh, what looks the same to us is completely uh, hierarchical to that animal to that species and for us and for you as a human I guarantee you even people that say they don't do this you can't get away from it you do do it you gauge yourself in a hierarchy so whether that's in school, whether that's where you work now for your career, uh, the people you're dating romantically, the friends you have. Generally, the first thing to understand is, for the most part, similar levels attract each other. And that's both romantically and socially. Uh, and there's a lot of science to this. I'm not gonna, I don't want to go deeply into that, but I always recommend people go back to Dr. David Buss's book uh, on uh, uh, evolutionary psychology, the textbook. I have it on my site, tylopez.com slash books. I list out the 150 most important books, and Dr. David Buss is, has, uh, I think, in the top five most important book that you can ever read in your life. And so you'll see he has a chapter on self-esteem and what its purpose is. You know, some people in the modern world uh, you hear, I'm sure you've heard people say, you should just love yourself for who you are. And I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to agree or disagree with that. Um, I'm going to say it's probably naive, it's probably not realistic, because there's two parts of your brain. And for those of you, some of you are on my uh, VIP call, the live calls that I do, that go a lot more in depth. I mean, these book of the days, I just put YouTube or podcast or whatever, but for those of you who are on that, you, you heard me talk uh, recently on the happiness hypothesis. Jonathan Haidt, the uh, scientist who talks about the two parts of your brain. So we'd like to think that we're one unified person, 
right? But like Freud says, you know, the mind is like an iceberg. 90% of it is below the water. So you really have, like an iceberg, two parts. You have the conscious brain, which is above the water, and the subconscious below. And people like uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt, or there's another good book by a guy uh, where he talks about, uh, it's called Riveted. I think, or riveting. I always confuse the title, but Jay Davies, the cognitive scientist, he calls it the old brain and the new brain. Kahneman, lots of people are writing about this now. But as it pertains to you and intelligence, um, you may like, you may go, well, intelligence isn't important to me. So your conscious brain might be like, don't worry about it. Just love yourself for who you are. But your subconscious will be like those chickens, those sheep, those cows where you're constantly assessing who you are. So the reason I'm setting this up like this is because if you have any misconceptions about IQ, smarts, brain power, and how you relate and how you fit in, uh, it's a dangerous thing to get wrong. So one of the most important things that this book goes into, uh, that Sternberg goes into, is this idea um, that... Uh, one, we have this idea that IQ is pretty static, right? So IQ tests, I know I did mine when I was real young, under 10 years old. Um, and we have this idea, okay, you get a high IQ, therefore you're destined for greatness. Oh, you get a low IQ, boom, you're destined for, you know, being average and mediocre. What he says is that the science is not lining up with that at all. He talks about how Charles Darwin's cousin, Sir Francis Galton, was the first person to come up with this type of test on intelligence and how he got it wrong. You know, he used something, he said that intelligent people were had high levels of energy and high levels of sensitivity. That was the initial, we're talking 1800s, the conceptions of your intelligence. They would have sat you down. They used to do tests like with noises, make you listen to noises. And they perceived that sensitivity, or, or they, uh, con their conjecture was that your sensitivity levels and the level of energy you had uh, were directly correlated to your intelligence. But some smart people started saying, uh, that's not possible to be true because think about Helen Keller. Helen Keller was blind and deaf, yet... She had tremendous levels of intelligence. So that way of understanding intelligence has faded uh, away, and different tests came. Uh, one of the big ones was a guy named Alfred Binet. If you've ever taken the IQ test, there's something called Stanford Binet. And he came up with these three ways of measuring your intelligence, right? Direction, which knowing what has to be done your ability to walk into a situation and assess it properly. Like, you know, there's a car crash and you are the person that goes, okay, we need to get that person immediately to the hospital. We need to cut that person's seatbelt out. You know, like for you to take control. That was one measure that Binet said. The second was uh, adaption. So that's customizing, right? So not having the ability to not be set, like not go, okay, well, no matter what happens, I, I'm the doorman. I always open the door when somebody walks up to the door, right? If you're a doorman at a hotel in New York City and you always open the door, like you have a fixed mentality. 
doorman opens door anytime someone comes within five feet. You're going to get fired, obviously, because they want you to have adaption, the ability to go, okay, this person looks suspicious. This person looks like they don't belong here. Maybe they're going to steal. Maybe they're, you know, here at off hours doing something sketchy. You keep the door closed and okay, you look at this person. I know they're staying here at the hotel. We let them in. So that's your ability. And uh, then criticism, which is an interesting measure, because your ability to self-critique, you see, uh, Binet's hypothesis was that intelligence and your intelligence is directly related to your ability to uh, look at your ideas and go, Ty, you're probably wrong. In light of new evidence, self-assess and go, adapt 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 and i'll tell you it's interesting most people can't do that uh or most people don't do that very well so interesting benet came up with this you know new understanding uh of intelligence now there's a lot of ways i can go with this but i want to read to you uh what he says that i think is more important and benet by the way has is, is much more uh Freud's cousin has somewhat been discredited, but Binet is pretty widely in use. And in fact, a lot of the tests that you've taken in life have come from that. Now, uh, this is the takeaway for you to understand. Research has shown right now, this is a direct quote, that IQ is only weakly able to predict later outcomes in your life. So... If that's true, if research is now showing that IQ doesn't predict, that leaves you in an interesting place because then the whole question is, is it even valid to care about IQ? Well, you know, this guy actually talks about how he did so poorly in school because, for example, some people are very sensitive to the test-taking environment, so it skews it. They're not good at taking tests, but they're still very intelligent. So. I want you to know that even if you have not done well traditionally, I want you to understand a handful of principles that this book says, all right? So he says you and I need to new, use a new measure of intelligence, which he calls successful intelligence, which, of course, if you follow any of the stuff I do, it's all about the good life, how to be successful, and... Uh, so this ties right in, right? He says, successful, intelligent, pe successfully intelligent people defy negative expectations, even when these expectations arise from low scores on IQ. They don't let other people's assessments stop them. So, you know, we talked about in that book, Poe Bronson's book, Top Dog, you must have ability to be competitive. So one thing that successful people do is when they're told that their IQ is low or that they're not conventionally intelligent. They use that to spur them forward. And you see that at almost every level. You see that in sports. Michael Jordan was cut from his bas high school basketball team. He was never as good at, his, uh, at a young age. When they were young, his brother was better at basketball. His mom and dad you know, didn't see the potential. And he's used every one of those negative outcomes or, or negative evaluations to drive forward his his outcome. So that's something you have to do. I will tell you, no matter how intelligent you may be conventionally or unconventionally, you will run into naysayers. You will run into obstacles, both from other people and um, from your competition that are gonna try to drive you down. He says, 
And, and I've seen that, and if you do the math and you do the studies, uh, successful people consistently were those people told they're not going to pull it off, and then they pull it off. They get pleasure. So if you can get pleasure in pulling it off, there's a tremendous power there. He says, successfully intelligent people in his research are self-efficacious. They have a can-do attitude. They realize that the limits to what they can accomplish are often not what they tell themselves they cannot do. Uh, or rather, they are what they tell themselves they can't do. There's a tremendous, I mean, there's a balance here. I think sometimes people take it overboard. No matter how much I tell myself I could jump over a skyscraper, I can't do it. There are limits to the human uh, to human ability. But certainly if you step outside of the bounds of, of the rules, I could jump over a skyscraper. I could get on a helicopter and fly over it. So oftentimes, even though you will find limitations on what you are trying to do, let's say you're somebody just not entrepreneurial enough in the classic sense to pull off taking a business from scratch and growing it to a multi-million dollar business, becoming a millionaire, let's say. But if you use this helicopter analogy, what if you partnered with somebody? If you look at Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett um, is more famous, but Charlie Munger attached himself as a business partner and was able to become, you know, he's not, Buffett might be worth 60 billion, but Charlie Munger's worth one or two billion, which is not too shabby. So uh, the way I look at this is, well, you'll see, let me not jump ahead. This is the other thing I find fascinating. He says his research says successfully intelligent people actively seek out role models. Throughout their lives, they have they have, may have several model, such models, and their own success represents a unification of the best attributes of the various models. In the other words, they do not slavishly follow any one model, but rather form their own distinctive identity. They also observe people who fail and know why they fail, and then make sure they do things differently. If you're in my 67 Steps program, it's a 67-day uh, program. A lot of you are in, thousand people. It's on how to change your habits. 67 days is the scientifically proven average amount of time it takes to form new habits. One of the things that I talk about is, you know, mentors, the power of mentors. Whether Einstein had a mentor that he met dinner every uh, for dinner every Thursday. Oprah Winfrey had two mentors. She says were critical in making her who she became. Uh, Denzel Washington had a mentor, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. You go down the list, the, uh, the Dalai Lama, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa. So the humility, I talked about this on my TED Talk. You're like, everybody wants the good life, but not everybody gets the good life because most people aren't humble enough to do what he says, successfully intelligent people. And if you know, what I want you to take away from this is at the end, you go from being a not on paper intelligent or even very on paper intelligent, okay? I've been in Mensa for many years. That's on paper makes me intelligent, but this is a better measure. It doesn't mean I'm going to be successfully intelligent. I can tell you I know a tremendous amount of people with high IQ that I would not want to have their life. They are not successful in the measure that we've talked about, the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. So the humility... Sometimes being too books too too on paper intelligent will preclude you from going out and hinder you from going out and seeking role models. So if you can go out, accomplish, I mean, uh, accumulate or connect with several mentors, 
I had five mentors, um, and I've had many more, but five core ones at the beginning, you know, when I was still a teenager, showed me business, entrepreneurial stuff. And from them, certainly, you, you unify them. So that's something you have to do. So um, I think that at the end of the day, it's a little bit like the serenity prayer. You know, it's like, God grant me the, let's see if I can do it. God grant me the strength to change the things that I should change. The, uh, let me try to do it here. I don't know if I know it. I don't want to butcher it. Let me, let me, uh, see all my books, all my paper IQ doesn't help here, does it? Uh, he says, uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I not cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So I think that what this successful intelligence, which is he thinks this should be the new measure of IQ that we're putting out there, people in school, and no matter what age you are, start evaluating your, yourself this way, not by on paper, but whether you have high levels, high dosages of successful intelligence, which necessarily means you're kind of like that serenity prayer you know those things that you you just need more courage see a lot of people say they're not intelligent and i say well how many books did you read well i was talking to a guy that's sometimes i do in-person mentor i've been working with a guy for a year now he runs a co one of my companies as like the ceo and uh he said i used to read five books a year and now he reads four books a week so he's now at about 200 books a year when he was at four. Same person, same IQ uh, as he had when he came there. But I'm going to tell you, what do you think has changed in his life in terms of IQ, uh, in terms of successful intelligence shooting through the roof? Reading and taking in knowledge. Remember, mentors, you won't always be able to get all of them in person. Some of them will be dead, like Monger says. Make friends with the eminent dead, like... Uh, uh, Seneca says in the shortness of life, he talks about how you can make the great people of all time of history, both living and dead. You can, he said, they're always available to you. <laughs> you don't, they're always available. Books here. Now you have YouTube videos. These people are always available to you throughout time. As long as we have printing presses or Kindles or whatever it is that you use to, to get this knowledge. So, you know, a lot of people, um, we find solace by staying in a helpless state, by just going, see, I wasn't born with much I could, see, see, but by this new measure, now the onus is on us, like it's on you, right? It's a changeable factor. He says here, just to repeat, they defy negative expectations. You, you have to defy what people thought about you. You can do that uh, by simply being competitive, like the book Top Dog, Poe Bronson talks about. That works better, by the way, if you're an introvert. Uh, if you take the Meyer-Briggs test, if you're like an INFP or INFJ, this is the way. But no matter how you see it, I want you to go deeply into your brain Try to rip some old bad ideas out. You know, Warren Buffett says every year you should throw out one of your best ideas. Well, take and start with those best ideas you've had about 
best, I say, ideas about your intelligence. Uh, defy expectations. So the takeaway I want you to think about is right now, or just answer two questions for me. Number one, uh, what is a self-defeating attitude that you've had towards your IQ, towards your intelligence? Okay. Number two, what is a negative expectation people have put on you that you want to defy? Uh, for you, for some of you, it's financial. For some of you, it's with your body. It's, for some of you, it's with just your overall ability to be smart socially when you're out. Like, And you might have gotten that negative overtly. Someone might have said you're stupid or somebody might have just sarcastically made a remark. But, you know, like the book, like uh, Inheritance, the book by uh, Dr. Sean Molum talks about that I like so much. He says genes are altered by traumas when you're young. So you may have had some of these where you physically, the whole structure of, of how you, you know, how your body relates to stress. He says it can be elevated by these traumas. So one thing I like cognitive therapy. I'm, of course, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychoanalyst. But one of the things in happiness hypothesis Jonathan Haidt talks about is that as you just bring up thoughts you've had and think them through, that in and of itself is often the therapy that fixes the problem. So what is a uh, negative expectation and how are you going to defy it? So it's been the book of the day. Make sure you're on tylopez.com on my uh, book of the day emails. They're free. It's one of the largest book clubs in the world after Oprah Winfrey, uh, you know, over a million people in 40 countries it reaches. So, uh, Get on there, tylopez.com. Also, I'm on Twitter, at tylopez. Instagram, post some stuff special just on Instagram. It's it's tylopez and the number one. Uh, Facebook, tylopez official. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to my channel because I've been releasing lots of good stuff here first on YouTube. If you're listening to this on my podcast, uh, please subscribe and leave me a review. That really helps. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I give this stuff out free. Check out some of the 67-step program that I do. It's on tylopez.com. Uh, you see a link for it, 67 steps. It's changing lives. I've never seen anything get more positive reviews than I've ever put out, so it's crazy. We're getting literally thou two, 3,000 comments a day from people going through the program. So it's going to get to like a million comments in a year, uh, and they're all and they're, these are positive ones, right? So um, it's having a big impact on people. Check it out. And uh, I will see you on the next book of the day. Thanks so much.